awaiting the next crisis, downward pressure on oil prices and limited options on capital markets are making investors and central bankers look over their shoulders. I'm now with Lord Adir Turner, author of Between Debt and the Devil, to discuss. Well, Lord Turner, the main point you make is that the credit crisis was actually a debt crisis and not a new phenomenon. Talk me through this. Well, it wasn't a new phenomenon but it was a very extreme version of a phenomenon uh, we'd seen before. I think the most crucial reason why we had a crisis in 2007 or 8, but even more importantly, why it has been so difficult to recover from the crisis, can be summed up in one statistic, which is the fact that in 1950, private credit as a percent of GDP, that's households and companies, in the advanced economies was 50%, and by 2007 that had reached 170%, and it grew pretty much every year from 1950 to 2007, and it grew at an accelerating rate after 1990. And the reason why that matters is that most of that credit did not do what our textbooks say credit does, which is to support new capital investment by the business sector. Most of it was extended for people to buy assets that already existed, in particular real estate assets, which generated these very strong cycles of more credit produces real estate price increases more credit until you get the moment of crisis. And the crucial thing that occurred in uh, 2008 was that the crisis occurred with the level of leverage across the world already very high. And it was so high that it's been very difficult to escape from the post-crisis debt overhang. Essentially, private sectors across the world, whether companies or households, have attempted to delever, and that has put us in a position where it seems that all our classic policy levers to keep the economy going are either blocked or ineffective or have adverse uh, side effects. And in that environment, by the way, what happens is that the debt doesn't really go away. It just shifts from the private sector to the public sector or the rate of growth of credit slows down in the advanced economies but you get an enormous explosion in China. And over the last seven years, there really hasn't been, well, there's been no deleveraging at all at the global level. The total level of global debt to global GDP has just gone up and up and up. So you say that most credit is not needed for economic growth, but it drives real estate booms and busts and leads to financial crisis and depression. But traditional economists would perhaps argue that credit creation lies at the heart of the economic growth that spawns positive cycles. Don't we need the investment multiplier effect? Well, here's the fundamental problem. If you summed up uh, one characteristic of the advanced economies from, say, the mid-80s onwards, we were achieving nominal GDP growth, so national income in current price terms, of about 5% per annum, on average, uh, across the advanced economies. And the central bankers and everybody said, well, that's pretty good because 5%, 4 or 5% thereabouts, nominal GDP growth enables us to have 2, 2.5% real growth in line with potential and maybe 2, 2.5% uh, inflation, uh, which is a low and stable rate of inflation in line uh, with you know, targets. Uh, but the trouble was that while we were achieving that 5%, 4 or 5% or so nominal GDP growth, private credit was growing at about 10 or 15% per annum. And if it's really the case that we need 10 or 15% per annum private credit growth in order to grow nominal income at 5%, then eventually the system will blow up 
because you have leverage going up and up and up. A key question I ask in my book is, is that the case? Do we need, in the upswing, to have credit going much faster than nominal GDP simply to keep nominal GDP at an adequate growth level? And the answer I give is no. We do need some credit. We need credit to do what the textbooks say credit does, which is to support investment in the business sector. But we also need to find a way of having a less credit-intensive economy because if we can't find a way of having a less credit-intensive economy, we are condemned to perpetual cycles of instability. Where are the main trouble spots today? China. And I think you have to understand what is happening in China as following on naturally from what happened in the advanced economies before 2008. The advanced economies before 2008 had a huge run-up of private credit. In 2009, the private sectors in the advanced economies start trying to delever. Uh, that threatens to and does put the world into a, a recession, the advanced economies into recession, and the Chinese authorities are then terrified that that means such a big hit to their exports that it will hit employment and have political stability implications. So they decide to offset the deleveraging in the advanced economies by unleashing in China the biggest credit boom that we've ever seen. It keeps the economy going, it creates lots of jobs in the construction sector, construction jobs go up from 28 million to 45 million in about four years, but the trouble is it can't go on forever. And China is now stuck in that situation where they're terrified to stop the construction and credit boom because then the economy goes into a, a really deep downturn. They're terrified to keep it going because it means piling up even more wasted resources uh, and even higher leverage. And what we've seen over the last 18 months in China is a set of oscillating policy decisions trying to deal with that problem. But the net effect has been a very, very major downturn in the Chinese industrial sectors, which has then brought an end to the commodity super cycle, which has hit the exports of Brazil, of the whole of Africa. I just saw figures out today. African exports to uh, China down 40% uh, during 2015. And this is imparting a major deflationary effect on the rest of the world. And it again illustrates that if we build growth on this uh, edifice of ever more uh, debt, eventually that growth model is bound to come to an end.